Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. On today's show, working in and around public engagement. In my free time, like I said, I was doing a lot of work in the community as far as like protest, civic engagement, and organizing different people and just making sure that I was a kind of like a guy when it came to like information in my community. We preview the sixth episode of Undisciplined, hosted by Karee Banton and produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore, as we hear part of a conversation about activism and related topics. And in about four minutes, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on Arkansans at the COP26 climate conference taking place now in Scotland. Governor Asa Hutchinson says he's getting closer to calling a special session of the Arkansas General Assembly to consider cutting state income taxes. During a press conference yesterday, the governor said he has been talking with legislative leaders to finalize details of the proposal. We've reached an agreement uh, on the uh, framework of the tax bill, an agreement with the uh, leadership. And so we have to put that in bill form, and then we have to get uh, a majority of the members to say, yes, I'll support that if you call us down here in special session. I want to make sure that the main item of the agenda has broad support uh, before I bring them in. The session was originally expected to begin last week, but the governor expressed concern about outside proposals being introduced by lawmakers, as happened when the legislature reconvened recently to consider redistricting. In particular, State Senator Jason Rapert has said on social media he intends to introduce an abortion-related bill similar to the one passed in Texas that is now being considered by the United States Supreme Court. Voters in a legislative district in Springdale will select a new representative on February 8th. The new lawmaker will replace Lance Eads, who resigned to take a job in the private sector last week. Party primaries for the seat will be held December 14th. Candidate filings can begin on November 15th. The Arkansas Department of Health is adding another 28 fatal cases of COVID-19 to the state's total in yesterday's reporting. There are 641 new cases in the report. Active cases increased by a net of 70 while hospitalizations were reduced by six patients in the last 24 hours. The CDC and FDA have both given approval for children age 5 to 11 to get a kid-sized dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Governor Asa Hutchinson said yesterday the vaccine will be made available immediately in the state. Uh, it will uh, be uh, more limited initially because we uh, more into the Department of Health and out uh, so there will be a little bit of a slow rollout, but they will be available through our Department of Health uh, immediately. You can find a list of locations for vaccines available for children at healthy.arkansas.gov. Journalist and political activist Gloria Steinem will be visiting the University of Arkansas next week as a distinguished lecturer. Steinem first gained recognition going undercover as a bunny in Hugh Hefner's Playboy Club and continued her work as a prominent player in the women's liberation movement. She'll be delivering a moderated question-and-answer session next Wednesday the 10th at Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the U of A campus. The event is free. It's open to the public. Doors will open at 6.30 that night. The Fayetteville City Council voted unanimously last night to hold a special election on February 8th to fill the seat of Ward 2 City Council member Matthew Petty. Petty recently announced he would be stepping down from the council after serving for 13 years. He had been the longest-serving member of the council. The Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville announced they'll be removing the requirement to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination to attend events. 
The announcement came from a press release that says the protocols have been updated in response to the downward trend of new cases and the rise in vaccinations. Local elections took place in Benton County yesterday, including two school board seats. The incumbent in school board Zone 7, Joe Quinn, defeated by Mike Swanson. Zone 7 covers part of Centerton, Rogers, Heifel, and Cave Springs. Bentonville School Board President Eric White ran unopposed in Zone 3, which consists of parts of Centerton and Bentonville. And the Arkansas Razorbacks soccer team defeated LSU 2-1 last night in the first match of postseason play for the Razorbacks. Arkansas, the top seed in the SEC tournament, ranked fifth overall in the country. They'll play Auburn Thursday night at 5 on the SEC Network in the tournament semifinals. This is Ozarks at Large. A delegation from the Sierra Club, based in the Mid-South, including Arkansas, is attending the COP26 Climate Conference in Glasgow, Scotland. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich brings us this story. Political leaders, diplomats, business executives, NGO representatives, and protesters from around the globe have converged this week on the Scottish Event Campus in Glasgow to attend the 26th Conference of the Parties, COP26 for short, the Climate Summit. They've gathered to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement, a critical international climate treaty, and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. We caught up with Sherelle Blazer, Senior Director of Sierra Club's International Climate and Policy Campaign, on Tuesday, asking her to describe the event and her NGO's mission. There's a few thousand of us on the inside, but on the outside, there's many more people. So um, you really feel the pressure, uh, especially with the protests going outside, going on outside. Um, it's it, it feels like a high it's a high pressure atmosphere. <laughs> Everyone in there is really wanting to deliver the best we can um, for our, our countries and um, for for the public. Um, and then also the really nice thing is that you see a lot of different people working on the same issues as you, whether it be coal or methane or finance or whatever. And so it's really nice to be able to collaborate with folks that you wouldn't normally get, get to, uh, to, to talk with or collaborate with or, or hear from about, about their work. The aim of this year's conference is fourfold. The first is to end the use of coal, a major source of carbon emissions burned to generate energy, cut methane emissions by a third, develop and implement international carbon markets to allow for the trading of emissions reduction credits, and agree on how to finance $100 billion a year to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in developing nations. Everyone on the inside knows that communities around the world are really looking to us to deliver something substantial and significant. The Sierra Club, based in Oakland, California, counts millions of members with expert campaign teams on the ground in all 50 states, working towards environmental justice in communities of color, protecting the nation's parks and endangered species, and replacing all 281 coal-fired electric plants with clean energy facilities in the U.S., Especially coming from the U.S., a lot of people are looking to us because, of course, we've been able to uh, retire or slate for retirements almost 70% of our coal fleet. And so there's a lot of um, 
work going on in the in the space around how do we make this happen? So like um, call retirement mechanisms, um, different financial tools that can be used to maybe speed up the process of, of bringing like the most polluting industries offline. Due to warming climate caused by human activity, sea level rise is accelerating and has begun to inundate low-lying coastal regions and island archipelagos around the globe. The evidence of escalating climate change is also clear with extreme weather events, polar vortexes, record heat, drought, yielding massive fires, atmospheric rivers yielding historic floods, and glacier melt. Under the Paris Climate Treaty, over 100 countries are adjusting their voluntary commitments to reducing carbon emissions in hopes of deterring devastating temperature rise. Although he declined to attend the conference, China's President Xi Jinping committed to reducing peak emissions by 2030 and to net zero by 2060. China is the world's biggest emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. Blazer says she was encouraged by this news. Right. Um, They made a really good announcement about phasing out of coal and and not not, uh, financing coal abroad uh china was one of the chinese banks were one of the last ones to like one of the holdout banks for financing coal in places where we just didn't want a, a coal build out to happen like across africa and so you, you know even if they're not here in the space i know that there's some people who point to that and say oh see look at them but if your actions are saying yes we're going to do the right thing on coal yes we're going to do the right thing on climate then i'm a little less concerned about you know who is appearing at the conference and who isn't. I'm, I'm not as concerned about that being the measure. The U.S., also a major carbon polluter, will rejoin the global Paris Climate Accord under President Joe Biden, vacated by the former Trump administration. On Monday, Biden issued an apology to world leaders vowing to catch up. Sierra Club's international climate and policy campaign mandates that energy generated from unabated coal plants must be reduced by 80 percent below 2010 levels within this decade and eliminated entirely by 2040. In abidance with the Paris Agreement, Blazer says decommissioning coal fire facilities in the U.S. must also accommodate impacted communities. So uh, we put out... um design principles for coal retirement mechanisms. And that's part of what we're pushing that center equitable outcomes plus impact, right? So we don't want a bunch of financial mechanisms that just pay off coal plant owners to get out of the market. We definitely want to make sure that there's an equitable outcome as in uh, people who are working at these places being made whole as in uh, communities that have bared the brunt of the pollution and the environmental degradation being made whole, um, dealing with uh, environmental justice, also economic justice. In a lot of these places, there's no other competing competing industry. So um, looking at what does it mean to have an equitable outcome and then also substantial environmental impact. For example, Swepco, Southwestern Electric Power Company, has started to retire its coal-burning fleet while building out clean industrial wind and solar electrical generation. Adaptation principles are also being widely discussed at COP26 to assist developing nations grapple with devastating harms that increasingly will be caused by climate change. 
But what Blazer says has been most inspiring at the summit is the presence of international and diverse protesters sequestered outside the conference. Good job on on really pressuring everyone on the inside to go as far as they can on cutting fossil fuel finance, on making sure that that we're closing down the dirtiest forms of pollution, making sure that we're actually making people whole, that we have adaptation and mitigation measures, that the developed world is actually making good on the pledges that we said that we would. Uh, oh my gosh, that to me, those are the heroes here. And those are the people that I'm thinking of in the back of my mind when I'm sitting at a panel discussion about <laughs> some issue like it. It's not at all, uh, it's, it's very tangible, right? It's, it's not at all in theory because you have all these people on the outside letting you know that our lives are on the line and people's lives are on the line and you have to get this right. So to me, those are the heroes. To follow the proceedings of the UN Climate Summit, which continues through November 12th, visit ukcop26.org. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. You've heard it many times on Ozarks at Large talking about replacing coal fire plants in Arkansas with clean energy. But now Glenn Hooks, after 18 years with Arkansas Sierra Club, is making a move. He's joining Audubon Delta, he says, as a policy manager. Largely at Audubon, I'll be working on the same number of issues, same type of issues, climate work, clean energy work. Audubon Delta has been a partner of Sierra Club for well over a decade on our coal work, our clean energy work. Audubon begins with birds, but the national nonprofit's longtime mission is to connect diverse people to nature, prevent air and water pollution, promote land conservation, and reduce the impact of global climate change. Hooks developed water, forestry, and clean energy policy during his time with the Arkansas Sierra Club. And probably the biggest win that we've had at Arkansas is we, as a result of a lot of public pressure, a lot of lawsuits, a lot of work at administrative agencies, we're able to get Entergy Arkansas to agree to retire its two largest and dirtiest coal-burning power plants in the state. The 52-year-old native Arkansan will remain in Little Rock when he starts his new job with Audubon Delta later this month. Prior to joining the National Sierra Club staff in 2003, Hooks worked as an attorney in private and public practice, as director of the Democratic Party of Arkansas, as a political campaign manager for various candidates and causes, and as a lobbyist for groups like the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. I'm Robin Young. Author and journalist Celeste Headley says we need to talk more about race. But first, we might have to find common ground, literally stop a heated fight and say, okay, do you have a dog, a tattoo? Where do we agree? You just have to find something on which you can connect, and then you can maybe move forward with the conversation. Next time, Here and Now. Here and Now, this afternoon at 1 on KUAF and available through the KUAF app. And when you download that free KUAF app, you'll find a spot that lets you listen to past editions of Ozarks at Large, the app available for iPhone and iPad. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. In the latest episode of Undisciplined, host Karee Banton talks to Osiris Bali, the racial equity coordinator for the Arkansas Public Policy Panel based in Little Rock. In this excerpt, the two of them discuss activism and the struggle of getting many different coalitions to agree on the same priorities. 
did you get involved in this line of work at the Arkansas Public Policy Panel? How you were activists, well, you talked about organizing protests and Trayvon Martin and all that. How did that then lead to the Arkansas Public Policy Panel? In my free time, I, like I said, I was doing a lot of work in the community as far as like protests, civic engagement, and organizing different people and just making sure that I was a kind of like a guy when it came to like information in my community. But what I did for about four four years is uh, I worked with the youth. I had a 12 and 17 year old group with uh, the Boys and Girls Club, and I helped develop that into one of the biggest, the biggest single 12 and 17 year program in the city of Little Rock. And how I did it was just through a number of different ways to help keep them engaged and want them to be doing something productive after school. So I focused on, you know, one, making sure that they had a place to where they could have tutoring and mentoring and education. And then I encouraged them to express themselves no matter how different it was through the arts. And we uh, had a program where we uh, encouraged them to go to the studio and, and and focus on writing about different topics and expressing themselves, recording it, and learning the business of actually producing their music and publishing it. And then after that, my focus would be community. I helped lead uh, community dinners where we brought in different family members into the community, and we all, we ate, but we talked about the topics that we wanted to uh, conquer in our communities as far as like the different issues. And so we had everything, people come from speakers that, were people who were talking about the uh, school privatization effort here in Arkansas and giving out information and helping people get connected with the different groups who were fighting to save our public schools. We brought in, I brought in different people who talked about their careers as far as like uh, lawyers, uh, doctors, STEM. And also um, I encouraged the, the students to actually do something to give back to their communities and get their friends and their parents involved. And so with that like big community effort, I, I started to be known as a person who um, just genuinely had a, a love and respect for the community. And that kind of snowballed into me doing different things where I was doing different nights out, night outs for the youth where they was uh, staying out and doing, you know, just fun activities with me, as well as bringing on their parents a lot of times to do things in the community where we, you know, we were the ones putting on together the protests. Together, we were the ones who actually tried to establish some type of connection and rapport with the city to help over different issues as far as like ordinances with the city of Little Rock and uh, doing mass voter registration drive efforts with different volunteers. And so I became known as an activist in the community for doing those things, but also as an organizer because every effort that was it was something positive, I was able to just connect so many different people and, and, and just network and just be that kind of plug in, in, a, in a sense in the community. Can you tell us about the kinds of different groups that the Arkansas Public Policy Panels that you guys have been working with? Yeah, uh, we Arkansas Public Policy Panel has been working with a lot of different groups a lot of different groups over the last 50-something years. It started in 1963, and uh, it's been getting stronger and stronger ever since. But some of the groups we work with, we work with uh, Arkansas Coalition to abolish the death penalty. We work with uh, Arkansas uh, Coalition for Peace and Justice, State NAACP chapter, the Opportunity to Learn campaign, and uh, League of Women Voters. So it's a lot of different groups out there that uh, we work with around Arkansas on just different issues. And they mainly do that work through um, the uh, Citizens First Congress, which is a coalition building organization, their sister organization, that helps them uh, advocate during the legislative session. 
it's easy probably for us to imagine organizing the youth and maybe what fuels the youth activism that we've seen from the time of John Lewis um, with SNCC and, you know, to the now to Black Lives Matter. We see the youth at the forefront, right? They're marching because they're furious and, you know, the their rage that they cannot withhold, you know, it brings them together in a, in a real way and they leverage that as power in society to bring about change. So what what is it that fuels the activist undertone here in, Ar- in Arkansas? I think what what fuels it fuels it is is just right right now people are starting to understand that a lot of these issues that we have in Arkansas they affect everybody uh, regardless of race and gender and there's a lot of issues that need to be worked on and I think that uh, people are starting to understand that you have to get out this mindset this mindset of uh, the two party system and you just come together on a nonpartisan level and just work on the issues that really are attacking your community because a lot of this party loyalty is kind of causing people to shoot themselves in their, <laughs> shoot themselves in their own foot. And so what fuels it is, I think, just, just that, that grassroots organizer mentality of, of getting boots on the ground and going to talk to people and um, just telling them about what's going on in their community. The things that are going on as far as on a local politics level don't get a lot of attention in the media a lot of times. And so it's kind of up to us as organizers and activists to go out there and spread the word about what people need to be knowing about. Uh, just this past legislative session, I want to say that there were like at least about 17 bills that were filed and passed for uh, that will be like new voting laws. And so people are going to be here for a rude awakening even when they go to the ballot and start voting again because they're not going to be able to do some of the things that they have done in the past when it comes to absentee ballot voting and even voting on that that last Monday of early voting. You know what I'm saying? Those things have kind of just really been big, I'll say, 50-state strategies across all of the states. But here in Arkansas, it's so heavily favored for like certain people that, you know, saying a lot of those things would just easily pass without anybody just really advocating and being effective to like stop it and, and block those things. And so now I think that like people are getting back to that grassroots mentality of having boots on the ground, especially during the pandemic. People are finding out, finding new ways to be creative, to help organize and uh, doing things virtually. So a lot of more people are understanding that. And they have to, in the past, I don't think they really looked at it as much as like we have to get the youth involved if they if they're not involved now they're having to do that because they have the youth have so much knowledge about using this technology and the innovative ways to actually connect with people that if your organization doesn't have somebody that's young that's that knows how to connect with people through social media that knows about the latest happenings in the city and knows about different groups of people and where they at you know, if you don't have somebody in the organization that knows those things, you're lacking. And so, you know, people are having to actually go and talk to the youth and not just youth on in schools, but youth in the community and talking to them and seeing what they want. So a lot more listening sessions are happening so people can understand what's important to the to people and finding out the needs of the people. And it's helping the organizations become more well-rounded. So I think that grassroots approach is what's really starting to fuel people's participation in the political process again. You guys do coalition building between different groups, right? How do you, you know, get past those problems in terms of creating coalition if, you know, different groups of people have their own interests? And how do you create those coalitions? I'll speak for, like, for Citizens First Congress, we have monthly caucus meetings. 
for the people that are, are part of the, that membership base. And those, and those meetings help determine the priority. So we have a meeting for civil rights, election reform, for environment, education, and economic justice. And so for uh, at least a year and a half before those legislative sessions happens, every month, the priorities and the issues are constantly being discussed at all these caucus meetings. That process of actually talking year-round to see what's going on in the communities and developing that rapport and understanding what the community needs are, it helps out a lot because when we're talking about me personally, I'm in central Arkansas, so I don't, I'm not always connected to what's going on in northwest Arkansas or in southeast Arkansas. But when we're talking and I find out different issues that are going on in the communities, it gives me a better understanding of what the needs are in Arkansas as far as bills and laws and ordinances. And so when you're talking every month and then we're doing our quarterly meetings and coming together and discussing what we've been doing over the past three, four months, it helps us to understand and gauge what's needed in the state. And so from that point on, we go to the coalition building part of it where we decide as, as different membership groups and we vote on our priorities. And that way we know that when the legislative session comes, we, we know we're going to be focusing on these priorities because these have been deemed the most important. It's always that phrase that comes to mind with me. Some people will sink the ship just because they can't be the captain. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah. You know, so when you have the understanding that, you know, uh, we're moving as a unit and, and, and we have that coalition power, that's how we're able to make the biggest impact. Egos are put to the side and organizations can keep on doing the work that they've been doing without interference. And we can keep on doing the work collectively without hurting people's feelings, basically. Undisciplined is produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. That full episode is out today. You can get it wherever you already get your podcasts. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents In American Waters, a new exhibition featuring marine paintings by a wide range of American artists, including Georgia O'Keeffe, Amy Sherald, Nick Cave, and more, as they present the beauty, violence, and transformative power of the sea in American life. Opening November 6th. Tickets and info at crystalbridges.org. Central EMS offers a paramedic ambulance membership plan available to most residents of Washington County. This plan helps members avoid out-of-pocket expenses for ambulance transport and paramedic services and benefits all immediate household family members. More information available at centralems.org slash membership. The season is over for the University of Ozark's men's soccer team. They lost last night in double overtime to Hardin-Simmons in the quarterfinals of the ASC tournament. The U of O men's team ends the season 9-8-1. Hello, I'm Rhonda Dillard, the underwriting director at KUAF. Did you know that KUAF listeners could be your best customers? KUAF listeners find value in public radio, and research shows that 85% of public radio listeners are more likely to support a business or service they've heard about on public radio. So, if you enjoy listening to KUAF, well, why not invite your fellow listeners to become your customers? Email Rhonda at KUAF.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. We know the ability to experience art in our region is growing. From the unexpected murals in downtown Fort Smith to the unexpected places serving as art galleries like banks and salons all over northwest Arkansas. The latest batch of public art to catch our eye is in Osage Park in Bentonville. There, 
You can find a giant metal airplane, a floating reflective quilt, and other objects to surprise and delight. The park formed from a partnership between Peel Compton Foundation and Bentonville Parks and Recreation. The works of art were curated by Chad Alligan, a former curator at Crystal Bridges and now an independent curator and art historian. Last week, we reached him by Zoom, he no longer lives in northwest Arkansas, and asked him about the first steps in curating public art for a new park. Yeah, starting to think is always the curator's point of inspiration. You know, uh, this particular park is uh, reclaimed wetland. So there's already um, a kind of uh, seedbed of inspiration to draw from. And because we're outdoors in Osage Park, there is... Um, there's a great wealth of opportunity for um, for uh, placing works of art in the public space. So when you're sort of starting from scratch, you know, when I was assigned this project, um, the the first uh, the first reaction is, okay, what do I have to work with? Get me out there, right? And uh, so I headed out to the the park site and and walked it with. Uh, Allison Jumper, who was formerly of Runway and now uh, works in Fayetteville, um, I believe for uh, Parks and Rec down there. Mm-hmm. And um, and we walked the site and um, got a feel for the sight lines and um, and for the uh, the sort of traverse uh, journey that a a visitor would have through the park. And it started to spark things. You get you get viewpoints. You get um, you get scale. You get a sense of the light. And um, and you go from there. So as a curator, you also have to be aware of artists. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you've got this this sort of mental Rolodex going like, oh, I know someone whose work might address this or might work with this other piece of artwork. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's the job of the contemporary art historian and curator is to have this sort of uh, Rolodex of folks in your mind and, and people that you want to work with, you know, Um the, the great difference between uh, curating um, sort of historical art and contemporary art is that the artists are alive and they can speak, right? So uh, you can hop on, the, hop on the old Zoom with them and fire it up and see what's going on in their studio. In this case, uh, because we were responding to a natural environment, uh, there were certain artists that came immediately to mind who uh, create uh, sculptures and experiences that respond to the natural world. Uh, on this site as well, we're adjacent to the Bentonville Municipal Airport and Fadden Field. So, um, you know, you have this sort of aviation theme that we wanted to um, uh, to bring to the fore. And so there were um, a handful of artists that I thought, hmm, that's, a, that's a, a good place to hang your hat. And then because it's a park, it's a part of everyday life. So, you know, um, bringing art to where people are. And so I, I wanted to include artists who... Um, who have a touch of the everyday in their work, who, who uh, use materials in a transformative way that are recognizable to the everyday person. So, you know, these are the ideas that sort of, um, that sort of start to form in your mind. And then, yes, you go through that Rolodex and you think, hey, are, are you available? Well, what are you up to? Let's check in. And, uh, and the, the ideas spark from there. All right. You mentioned aviation. So I have to mention one of my favorites uh, that's, in Osage Park, and that's Griffin Loop, which is this mm. um, 25 foot, right? 25 foot metal yeah. paper airplane that appears as if 
a giant child has thrown it and it's landed in the park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Griffin's great. You know, he's a, uh, an artist who used to be based in L.A. Now he's he's based in northwest Arkansas. So it's uh, it's great to have this um, sort of now uh, regional artist in conversation with uh, the other artists that are in play here. And yeah, his his art is all about connecting people to that sort of uh, childlike spirit of discovery and wonder that um, he he see, he uh, he conceives that we sort of lose as we go uh, along in our lives. And so it's kind of taking this um, this childlike form, really. You know, we've all uh, folded paper planes and then expanding it in scale. So this um, this stainless, I mean, the, the steel object is um, is huge. It's massive, right? It's the it's the size of an actual plane, um, but it still has the the beauty and the simplicity of that childlike spirit of wonder that you use. And um, and there's the magic, you know. It's the the artist's touch of taking something simple and um, and exploding it into a, 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 an imaginative piece. It's um, it's a really beautiful thing. You mentioned discovery, and mm-hmm. I imagine. If, when I walk into Crystal Bridges, I think to myself, I'm going to see art. But for many people, especially years from now, when, you know, it's, it's not a new park and you just, you and your family show up, you're not expecting to see art and all of a sudden it's there. That, that's so fun and such a sense of discovery. It's unexpected. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't grow up with art. So um, I, uh, I grew up in Southern Georgia. Um, I was the first of my family to go to college. My first museum was well, when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so art wasn't a part of my everyday experience, at least not in the way we think of art. And uh, for me, it's incredibly important that art comes to where people are, right? As a former curator at Crystal Bridges, of course, I'm hugely proud of that institution. And I, and I think it's great what it's able to do and become the living room of that community. And yet we don't spend all our time in the living room, right? Especially now, it's important that we get outside and um, bringing art to where people are right now, which is outdoors, especially in this season, in our parks um, and exploring the natural world. Uh, that that gives me a sense of, of pride because Maybe somebody who wouldn't, who feels intimidated to step across the threshold of a museum or to enter a gallery, right? They're just going to do the other things you can do at a park. You can take a walk with your dog. You can play on the pickleball courts. You can, uh, uh, you know, hop in one of the canoes and, and get in Lake Bentonville, right? Um, and along the way, you'll encounter the work of six artists, both from near and far, and it becomes a part of your everyday experience. How do the pieces of art get there? If you're an artist from here, it's a little bit easier. But if you're an artist from far, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, these things are huge. Um, that when you're working with uh, a, um, a multi-acre wetland park, uh, if you're going to put art out in the public, it's got to have scale, right? So you're talking about, I mean, you mentioned Griffin Loop's work is uh, 25 feet long. Um, the other, other works are even bigger. Um, you know, if you're, uh, thinking of, uh, Chikaya Booker's work, for instance, which is made out of rubber tires and stainless steel, 
that thing came in on a on the back of a, a semi truck, right? So because it came uh, broken down into multiple pieces. So we work with our team at OzArt, an art collections manager and a, a very uh, talented um, art installer, and um, and we uh, we work with the artists to coordinate moving these things from elsewhere from. Pittsburgh, from New York, from Minnesota, and um, shipping them here on site to then be installed. So there's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the scenes. And uh, shout out to those teams, because otherwise these things couldn't happen and, and each other. I want to ask you about another piece, Tall Grass 2021. Uh, it's 24 by 15 feet. The artist is Asia Ward. And now I haven't been to the park in person yet, but when I look at the photograph of the piece, this is one that you kind of have to squint. It almost seems like it should be there when you first yeah. look at it, at least in the in the greenery of spring and summer. Yeah. So when you arrive on this work, Tall Grass by Asia Ward, it has it's uh, composed of um, multiple uh, steel tubes that are manipulated and then painted to appear as if uh, they are um, stems of grass themselves. And um, and you're right, Kyle, that there is this conversation between the 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 made artistic form and the form of um, of the grasses in the park. And that's part of her idea. She said uh, she wanted to make something that made her feel like she was a wetland creature looking up through the water at the tall grass, which I think is such a beautiful thing. And on the top of each of these individual green poles, you have these um, globes that contain solar lights. So they attract the, the energy of the sun. And then at night, they give off um, a, a subtle glow that attracts um, moths and, um, and other, other creatures that are attracted to light at night. And so it's an interesting way of, of bringing the art into actual physical conversation with the nature itself. Anything else we should know about the art or the artists that we can see any day of the year in the park? Yeah, I mean, I have to say one of my favorite works is uh, is by Greeley Myatt, who's the um, uh, West Memphis-based artist. He uh, he created these incredible, we, we commissioned these, um, what he calls fluttering quilts, and the quilts are made out of uh, aluminum and uh, cut traffic signs. So this guy has broken down traffic signs. So the sort of reflective signs that you see as you drive around um, the roads in, in your town and he's cut them down and then recompose them into these massive, beautiful quilt forms. And they appear to flutter in the wind. In fact, it was very difficult to make aluminum look as if it's fluttering. He's taken it and put it through a roller and massive undertaking. Um, but when you see them in person, they almost appear like fabric. They're so special. And um, I encourage you to take a walk around that path and, and see all three of them. There, there are three that we commissioned for this work. Chad Allegood is an independent curator and art historian. He talked with us last week via Zoom about the public art you can see in Osage Park in Bentonville. That's music by Aldemaro Romero, a composer and pianist born in Venezuela in the 1920s and whose music will be part of a Friday night concert in Fayetteville. 
the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, Sona, will be back on the Walton Art Center stage Friday night. It's a season opener that starts a few weeks later than usual, an allowance made months ago in hopes of performing as the COVID-19 spread slowed. Along with the music of Romero, Sona will perform Beethoven and Mozart. Last week, we reached Paul Haas, music director of Sona. He says after more than a year of keeping music alive in very different ways, sometimes in small ensembles, sometimes virtually, it's great to be readying for the big hall once again. We did some really creative programming um, last uh, season, and we're able to uh, to make some wonderful music and and connect towards the end of the season with with live audiences. Uh, but for, in terms of in terms of our, our you know our, our main stage work, uh, I, I think the main difference, other than the year, uh, it w- was uh, just the not knowing, right, and just uh, just kind of waiting for events outside of our control to, you know, end up a certain way so that we could continue with our lives. All right, let's talk about uh, the music that we're going to hear on the 5th. We've got some stalwarts. We do. We have two stalwarts and one uh, not stalwart, but soon to be a stalwart, if I have anything to say about it. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, the, 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 the mainstay of the concert, the, uh, the, the, the big nugget, is Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Three, the Eroica, and I, it's been forever since I conducted Beethoven. I mean, certainly, certainly, um, you know, I, I didn't during the pandemic, and so it feels like a decade has passed since I since I was able to conduct Beethoven. So I'm really excited about that. This is obviously one of those groundbreaking symphonies. <laughs> it seems like every single one he wrote was groundbreaking, but this this one in particular. Uh, kind of broke the mold for what a symphony actually was, uh, uh, you know, in terms of length, but in terms of thematic content and 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 what what he does uh, and says, it's just it, it's kind of like hello, romantic period. Here we are. Um, see you later, classical period. Um, and it really uh, it it's an incredible moment in history and and one that seems equally outrageous every time i approach it right so that that that's a tremendous time uh for for audience and orchestra and conductor alike um and 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 then the mozart clarinet concerto with trevor stewart our principal clarinetist um such a phenomenal piece uh you know uh if uh if if I, if I had to guess, I, I, I'd say he's, he, Trevor's probably played this a million and three times uh, and has that kind of experience with it. Um, you know, for such a young player, he is so incredibly deep in his musicality and his ability to tell a story uh, to an audience and to make music with the orchestra. It's, it's just, it's going to be a lovely, lovely time. Um, and I'll, I'll wrap it up by, by uh, the programming by talking about uh, the Romero, Fuga con Pajarillo. Uh, this is uh, a piece for strings, and we're going to add maracas just because that's the way we roll. Um, anyway, Venezuelan composer. Uh, it's, it's got uh, these sections of fugue, which, which are, you know, traditional fugue sounding um, you know, uh, borrowing stylistically from Bach and, you know, Buxtehude and all, you know, all these great 
uh, fugal composers, but then, but then he, he breaks out into these Venezuelan uh, folk dance sections, which is where we're going to add the maracas. Anyway, so it's, it's, it's a hoot of a piece, uh, really phenomenal, and I'm, I'm excited to share it with, with our audience. And, and that's okay. So that's the first concert. And so we've had this period of, of the unknown of pause and that's now over. Cause boy, you guys, I mean, it'll be full gear. Oh yeah. From here no, on we're, out. We're, yeah. I mean, we basically, as, as soon as they said we could, uh, we just, we put the pedal to the metal. Uh, so we've got, you know, we've got this, then we've got our, our, our traditional Christmas show, uh, in December, along with the snowman. Uh, we, we, we play the live soundtrack to that film. Uh, it's a, it's a family concert the day after our traditional, um, uh, Christmas show. Uh, and then, you know, and then we do the rest of them in, in the new year. So we're, 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 we're all guns blazing. Paul, uh, congratulations on getting back on the stage at, at Walton Art Center. And thanks for your time. Thanks. Let's do this thing. Paul Haas is the music director for Sona. And the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas returns to the Walton Arts Center stage Friday night. He spoke with us last week via Zoom. Walton Arts Center presents a conversation with Hassan Minhaj with guest moderator Hina Patel Monday, November 8th at 7 p.m. This host of Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj explores the modern cultural and political landscape through the unique comedic voice of a first-generation American. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. KUAF is supported by Fayetteville Animal Shelter and Services, supported by the City of Fayetteville, and dedicated to the welfare of animals and the people who associate with them. Information at 444-3456 or Fayetteville Animal Services on Facebook. This is Ozarks at Large. This week's examination of the first 150 years of the University of Arkansas takes us beyond campus and beyond the United States. Charlie Allison, the executive editor of University Relations at the U of A, is again our guide. The first international student to attend the University of Arkansas came in 1880, less than a decade after the university opened. The student's name was Saul Bertig, and he was not only the first international student I could find on the rolls, but he was very likely the first Jewish student as well. Saul Bertig was from Galicia, Austria, and he appears to have come to the university because of an older brother who immigrated to Arkansas and started a business in Little Rock. Bertig left the university before graduating to work with his brother at the Arkansas River town of Ozark. He became a very successful entrepreneur and business owner, operating a variety of businesses primarily in northeast Arkansas and southeast Missouri. Two decades after Saul Bertig, a student named Oishi Zinki, a graduate of the Kumamoto College in Japan, came to the University of Arkansas about 1905. He had studied economics and political science at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. While here at the University of Arkansas, he used a stereo opticon to show scenes and customs of Japan for audiences as he talked about his home and culture with community groups in Fayetteville, Springdale, and Farmington. Zinke earned a Master of Arts degree in 1906 from the University of Arkansas, but little more is known about his stay here at the university. Four other students from the Punjab region of India and an Irish student from Dublin all worked on undergraduate engineering degrees in the same time period. Among them, Hai Das Vora finished his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering in 1913. These infrequent arrivals of international students occurred mostly by chance during the university's first 70 years. 
Although a program to provide scholarships for Latin American students had started in the 1940s, no formal program existed to entice students from the rest of the world to come to the university. An Arkansas alumnus, however, was about to change the whole scheme of international education. In 1946, Senator J. William Fulbright, an alumnus and former president of the university, introduced legislation to create an international exchange program that would send Americans abroad to learn about cultures foreign to their own experience and, in turn, bring international students to American universities so they could better understand us. Fulbright's idea was born out of the tragedy of the Second World War and rooted in his own international experience as a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. As Fulbright put it, quote, The essence of intercultural education is the acquisition of empathy, the ability to see the world as others see it, and to allow for the possibility that others may see something we have failed to see, or may see it more accurately. The simple purpose of the exchange program is to erode the culturally rooted mistrust that sets nations against one another. The exchange program is not a panacea, but an avenue of hope. Spurred by congressional approval of the bill, the U of A president at the time, Lewis Jones, appointed a committee of faculty and students to determine ways that the university and community might make sure that these new Fulbright scholars and other international students would find the university a hospitable place to study and feel a sense of home. His committee began working in early 1949 and made several recommendations, chief among them the creation of a foundation for international exchange of students, solicitation of rooms from the fraternities and sororities on campus to house exchange students, and a fundraiser to help cover the expenses of these new international students. They raised enough to help support three students by September of 1949, including the university's first Fulbright scholar, Roger Mindre of Lyon, France. He was 22 years old when he came to the U of A, and he had earned bachelor's degrees in mathematics, Latin, and Greek at a business school in Paris. He continued his studies at the U of A College of Business Administration and lived in the Sigma Pi fraternity house, spending Christmas in Forest City at the home of one of the fraternity members. The other two students sponsored through the exchange program were Peggy Heim of France and Ingeborg von Grohl of Berlin, Germany, the very nation with which America and the Allies had been at war just five years earlier. Von Grohl had studied at the Free University of Berlin, the University of Freiburg, and the Friedrich Wilhelm University. She faced diffidence at the U of A, not so much from Arkansans, but rather from some of the international students whose countries had been overrun by Germany. Her stay at the university changed her in ways she had not expected, and at the end of her year she wrote, quote, It is only through knowledge of each other that people can come to mutual understanding, the understanding which is the key to many of today's world's problems. My stay in Arkansas has brought me understanding and therefore appreciation of America and Americans. For 12 years, I was taught to distrust democracy and individual freedom. The Nazi state was everything, and the individual's highest virtue lay in unquestioning obedience. Coming to Arkansas has given me my first opportunity to see democracy in practice and to breathe an atmosphere of freedom. On the flip side of these international exchanges, more than 60 U of A students have traveled abroad as Fulbright scholars during the intervening years, taking classes at universities around the globe, learning about world cultures, and then bringing back a better understanding of the world to the states. Beyond the Fulbrighters, of course, thousands of students also undertake study abroad coursework each year as a matter of broadening their own horizons. In 2013, the University of Arkansas celebrated 20 years of international exchange with the Shimane University of Japan. 
Like so many of the university's exchange programs, this one had begun as a result of a friendship between two academics, mathematicians in this case, Bernard Madison, a professor of mathematics at the U of A, and Miyuki Yamada, the, then the president of Shimane University. For the anniversary, Morihiko Kato, the Japanese consulate general at Nashville, offered a gift of five cherry trees to the university. During ceremonies celebrating the cooperation and friendship of the two universities, the trees were planted along the north side of Ozark Hall, now known as Gearhart Hall. At the time, more than 700 U of A students traveled abroad each year to study in far-flung cultures, and the university hosted nearly 1,400 international students from around the world. Dave Gearhart, then the chancellor and a Fulbright Fellow himself, thanked Consul General Cato for the gift and their university's long partnership. For the occasion, he also told the crowd of students and faculty that he had recently been shown a rough English translation of a haiku by one of Japan's revered poets, Matsuo Basho. The translation read, quote, Viewing the moon, no one at the party has such a beautiful face. Gerhardt said he thought the poem rather romantic until he read a second translation of the very same poem. It went, All my friends, viewing the moon, an ugly bunch. <laughs> Gerhardt added, quote, I'm pretty sure something was lost in that translation. Above the chuckling crowd, he continued saying, quote, I use that example as a reminder to us all that understanding another culture is never as simple as memorizing a few words from another language. Truly understanding another culture means going to that far land, living among those new friends, and becoming immersed in the culture. Charlie Allison is executive editor for University Relations at the University of Arkansas. And he's delivering weekly observations about the U of A's history in celebration of the school's sesquicentennial. Other observations of the anniversary are listed at 150.uark.edu. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Ratcliffe. Ozarks at Large, a production of KUAF. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Jacqueline Furlick, Karee Banton, Charlie Allison, Matthew Moore, and Daniel Carruth. The Undisciplined Podcast, produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. Additional help today came from the KUAR News staff in Little Rock. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. KUAF's community engagement is handled by Jasper Logan. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. Please take care of yourself. We'll talk again very soon.